Due to its length, this episode of Beyond Reality is divided into two parts. The interview with Marla Freeze starts here in part one and then concludes in the subsequent episode as part two. Please enjoy it all and thanks for listening. The night may be long and the dark may be deep, but the answers are there to be found. Whether it's the normal, the abnormal, or the paranormal, you're in the right place. Let's go beyond reality. Welcome to the program, everyone. I, I almost you know missed this intro because I'm busy saying hello to people in our chat rooms. And there are more and more people all the time, so there are more and more hellos I have to, uh, not have to, want to uh, give out. Uh, and I, if I miss anybody, I'm sorry. It's just it, scroll, it starts scrolling fast, and I'm trying to get ready to hit the uh, go live button, and uh, sometimes I miss people. But I know I'll, I'll try to catch up as as we go along here. We've got a great show for you tonight. We're excited to have Marla Fries joining us. Marla is a world-renowned transformational psychic medium. She was an actress for a while as well, a fairly high-profile actress, did a lot of work in television and film. And we're going to talk about that, why she gave that up, and why she uh, turned her attention to being what she is now, a transformational psychic medium. Why that work is something that has taken a priority over everything else that uh, she was doing previously. So it's going to be a great conversation. And again, Marla Fries will be our guest. I want to take a moment here because I meant to do this. Gosh, I think I think I wanted to do this last week and I just kept forgetting and then I was going to do it again Monday, then Tuesday. Forgot both of those nights. So we're going to try it tonight. We've had a lot of people join us uh, and help support the program on our Patreon channel. That channel is very, very easy to find. I certainly don't uh, you know, demand or, or even ask very seriously that people do that. But if you can support the program through the Patreon channel, it's really, really very much appreciated. And we've had a bunch of people uh, do that recently, and I've neglected to thank them and say hello. Uh, so I want to take a minute and do that now. A couple of our uh, frequent chatters in our chat room uh, joined our Patreon ranks. Wendy White and Diane Wilson both uh, are supporting the show through Patreon. Thank you so much to both of you. And also thank you very much for being in the chat room. It's really, really nice and a pleasure to see you there almost every night, both of you. Um, also uh, supporting the Patreon channel very recently, David Check. And Jamie Paris. And I don't think I have seen either of them in our chat rooms. Maybe I've missed it. Uh, if you haven't, David or Jamie, please join us. And uh, the way you can find the chat room, in case you're listening through the podcast version of the show, which would be, uh, there would be no chat room associated with that, you can find it uh, by going to either our YouTube channel or our Twitch channel. Either one, either platform, if you just search for JV Johnson, you'll find it. And when we are live, there is a chat room in both. But again, thank you to everybody. We've got a, quite a long list of people that support us in, twi in, a, in our Patreon channel, or excuse me, our Patreon page, and it does help us with our efforts to produce the program. So thank you very much for all of you for doing that. And for those of you who support the show in other ways, we thank you too. It's very, very important. Your effort to share it with uh, your social media friends and to talk about it in other chat rooms and other uh, posts and uh, just being here night after night, day after day. That's what really, really helps the show continue. So thank you all so very much. Again, tonight we're going to be talking with Marla Fries. Marla is a transformational psychic medium, and we're going to talk about her life because her book, American Psychic, From the Heartland to Hollywood, Heaven and Beyond, 
actually reveals Marla's extraordinary life journey. Started out in a small town. Many of us did that. And she grew up in a troubled family. She became a stage and TV actress. And ultimately, as she is now, one of the country's most respected transformational psychic mediums. So it's going to be a very fascinating conversation, as they always are here. I really do. And by the way, thank you to the kind words for from our guest last night. John Gastel sent uh, Slick Eddie an email about um about his how much he enjoyed being on the show last night that's always really kind of our guests to do that to go out of the way to connect after the show and i appreciate it and i also very much appreciate the kind words because your time the time that you commit to being on this program is more than i can ever expect or ask from anyone and when you do that i'm so very very appreciative so thanks for taking the extra effort to uh, to send that note John. All right, we're going to take a break. When we come back, we'll have our guest on and we'll be talking about Marla Fries's work as a transformational psychic medium. It's beyond reality and we'll be right back. Please support the program. Go to patreon.com slash Joha. That's J-O-H-A-W. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. And tonight I find it very funny that those of you who are watching in one of our video streams, whether it is the YouTube stream or the Twitch channel, either way, are uh, pretty excited that I actually have a shirt on that is not either gray, blue, or black. Because as you all know, for years now, that's almost what I wear exclusively. This is, I don't even know, this might be salmon? Uh, a rust color? I'm not sure. And I don't even know why I'm wearing it, frankly, because I'm much more comfortable in gray, blue, or black. Anyway, welcome back to the program. We've got a fantastic show for you tonight. I'm very excited about this. Our guest tonight, Marla Fries, is a transformational psychic medium. She's written a book. It's actually a memoir called American Psychic from the Heartland to Hollywood, Heaven and Beyond, and reveals Marla's extraordinary life journey from a small-town girl in a troubled family to a stage and TV actress career, and then ultimately becoming one of the country's most respected transformational psychic mediums. Marla, welcome to Beyond Reality. It's such a pleasure to have you here. Oh, thank you so much, JV. Me too. We, um, we, always, we like to have a lot of fun on the program. Um, and, and your story sounds like it might have been fun at times, challenging in other times and 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 in some cases it may have been something that most people would have just thrown in the towel and said the heck with this um i'm just gonna (laughs) sit home and do nothing i mean you've you've done a lot and and crossed many paths doing it yeah well you know i think that's pretty interesting because when people read this book they go on the journey with me and then they start to look at their own lives and they think, well, if Marla can get through this, or gosh, Marla was such a dumbass, I could, I had a better <laughs> life. Or, oh my God, that's so much like my life. So we all have these incredible lives to get where we are, JV. Let's um, kind of start at the, at the end of the story and move back just a little bit, because I'm, I'm really curious. Uh, sometimes words come across my desk that I'm not entirely sure what the meaning is. And when I saw mm-hmm. um, that you... you refer to yourself as a transformational psychic medium. Mm-hmm. I'm not sure what the transformational part means. What does that mean? Well, um, 
all of us who do this work have you well they, we all have unique talents right so we all come at this in various ways i was highly skeptical so in the mid 90s when this all started happening and i thought i was going crazy i had to work really hard to make sense out of all of it and there's also a trauma part of my background where i believe that the trauma actually heightened my sensitivities so in working hard to make sense out of it by being trained by the U.S. military psychic spies, I also was in a lot of therapy to heal the dynamic, the trauma that was in my childhood, which really did heighten my sensitivity. So I consider that the transformational work. And the way that I work is I see patterns and, and probability factors psychically and also I connect to the things that I understand the best with people, which is their emotional life. And that's, of course, with deceased loved ones. So you, you've referenced it kind of gently here to begin with, but much of your childhood um, was challenging. And those challenges ultimately led you to where you are today. Talk a little bit about your childhood and what made it what might be considered the typical American childhood and what made it not so typical. Well, thank you for asking that. Actually, the title American Psychic is based on the fact that my father was a World War II veteran who was in, he was in Germany blowing up Hitler's Siegfried Line, Rainbow Division, and he was blown up in a mine accident oh, wow. and came back to the States in a body cast. And he spent, you know, the rest of his life in pain and medicating that pain through alcohol. And my mother was from the South, and my mother, my father brought her up across the Mason-Dixon line to a, to a life in Pennsylvania, and she was unhappy. And by the time that I was born, they'd weathered a lot of different things. They, they'd had another daughter. They'd, they'd had a daughter. They'd had um, a number of deaths. And my mother's dream of my father being a, a, well, an officer in the Army um, disappeared because he came back, you know, basically broken. And she was not a well woman. So her rage, she inflicted on me. And that, um, that kind of abuse is something that I know many of our listeners probably understand. So that awareness as a child of having to intuit her also was me navigating her. I mean, I became uh, highly intuitive just trying to intuit her, but also the psychological thing, JV, of splitting, you know, that, that terminology of disassociation sure, where yeah. we, we split from our bodies. Well, I was learning that as a child, not thinking anywhere near you know, with the psychic ability of being able to remote view or bilocate my consciousness. So that happened to be going on during that time. And I, I love that you say I gently talk about it because there's so many of us that are dealing with some form of trauma. I mean, trauma is an ongoing problem within our society. And healing that is our job on many levels. I think that's profound, and I think that's quite true. And I think a lot of us um, carry a, a burden, a, a weight on our backs based on some things that we don't know how to deal with or how to uh, accept from our childhoods. Right. Uh, and, and, and that makes that that can be a huge hurdle for a lot of people. Sometimes it inspires people, but either way, it's something that needs to be dealt with. Well, yes, it does, because I, I mean, 
as my book talks about many of these wonderful stories, it could have gone a different way for me. I could have, you know, never come back from Cuba. Um, I could have been thrown in jail um, after I was basically hijacked. I was living with the mob. There were lots of um, situations that, interestingly enough, my intuition helped me get out of. And I think that that's another thing about the book. Um, it, it really is about listening to that consciousness, whether you call it the universe, God, spirit. Um, it's the voice that led me through a number of different situations. I mean, I was raised in the Lutheran Church, and then I went through um, the born-again Christian world, and then I moved into a different world of being an actress, and consciousness started to change for me. And it was literally those U.S. military psychic spies, when this all started happening, that really saved me, J.V., And we're going to talk about all those different points in your life and how this sensitivity, these sensitivities affected each of those things. I want to take you back to your childhood a little bit and your relationship with your mom. You say you had to intuit her. Um, Mm -hmm. I'm pretty sure I know what that means, but explain what that means. Well, you know, as a child, um, I I didn't know when she was going to snap. One of the first stories that I detail in the book is how she tied me to a high chair when I was three. And I remember it like it was yesterday. And she opened up a cupboard and she got out a spoon and she poured black pepper onto the spoon and shoved it in my mouth. And that dynamic at the age of three made me not trust her. And from that moment on, I had to be very conscientious. I mean, I love touching things, which is an interesting uh, aspect of psychometry. You know, when I first started working with law enforcement, holding, holding crime scene photos, but I had to touch my food. I had to touch people. I loved touching fabric to make certain that I could feel safe with who and what I was doing. And, you know, when something like that happens at the age of three, you are you are looking out for you're, you're in survival mode yeah. for much of your life. Yeah. I need to say this too. Um, I don't, I don't know what your relationship with your father was like, but um, I do believe. I dearly loved him. I dearly loved him. Good. I do believe that the men and women that fought world war two are sincerely the greatest generation and uh, I agree with you deserve a tremendous yeah. amount of praise and I don't know, you know, I know you explained that your father was in a, um, was wounded very seriously, came home and lived the rest of his life on, in pain. But the key is, yes. from what I understand, he lived his life and he... Oh, he did. Yeah. He, he dealt, did live his life. And, go ahead. Go ahead. Oh, oh I'm sorry. I'm just excited because he came back with, you know, two bronze stars and a, per, and a purple heart. Wow. And yeah. And yes, I, I completely agree with you about this. Yeah. And our veterans and our veterans are suffering, you know, um, the medication now and the way that the, I mean, it's all really about taking care of our sons and daughters who have gone to war and making sure that we try to keep them from having to go into those conflicts if necessary. And I think one of the other things that's very important, I often tell my son, my son is 24 years old and he complains about taking mm. the garbage out when I ask him to, you know, <laughs> he's got his master's degree, but I can't get him to take the garbage out. Um, but, um, you know, when, when he complains about things like that, I, I remind him, I said, you know, there were there were people three or four or five years younger than you storming the beaches at Normandy 
to yeah. save the world from a horrible dictator. You've got it pretty easy. So think about yeah. that. And, and I think, and the, and the thing that also that makes them such a great generation, and this certainly isn't the topic of our conversation, but I get excited about it, is that after, oh, I too. <laughs> after they won the war and did some unbelievable things, things that you would, you can hardly imagine asking a person to do, they were asked mm-hmm. to do and they did it. They came back home and they started families and they built this nation that you know still was basically recovering from a major depression and and right. much of the way you grew up much of the way i grew up was basically on their backs that what they built for us and I, and they they yes. cannot be thanked enough oh i agree with you and you know what um what an interesting time it really was. I mean, this was when television was becoming very popular, and I had, you know, Lucille Ricardo and Samantha Stevens um, to be my babysitters. Right. And it, it was that kind of time where the our families, our parents, were still dealing with that vibration of trauma that they suffered from. And they were looking to their martinis and their Marlboros and, yeah. and just having as having as much fun as they could because they wanted to live. And I get that. And I also watched, you know, my father just incessantly in pain. And it wasn't the typical thing, JV, to be seeing a therapist. I mean, we were part of a generation that didn't understand that there was codependency that was being developed in those family dynamics where the mothers were a little crazy and the fathers were not available. The children were reaching out going, help me, help me, give me some love here. How am I going to find this? Mom, Dad, you're not available. So we had to reach out. And some of us reached out to God and, and various organized religions, and other people reached out to the, you know, the hippie movement and drugs and music. So what a curious time. I just downloaded last night onto my Pandora the 60s, 70s, and 80s, uh, you know, the oldies. Yeah, you know? mm-hmm. my favorite stuff. Now, well, I don't remember the 60s that much, but you know <laughs> what I'm saying. <laughs> but those, those times were the richness it's in our soul. It's in, the, it's in the good epigenetics of our DNA. And then there's, of course, the forefathers, you know, our dead relatives who keep trying desperately to teach us. I don't remember the 60s that well either, but I remember my father listening to 60s music when I was in the 70s growing up. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah. But these things are so tra- uh, transformational or um, transformative. Yeah. Uh, you know, these are they the, are. Yes. <laughs> but when you were when you were going through this part of your life as a child, did you, were you aware of these sensitivities? Were you aware of the gifts that you now are completely aware of? Well, you know, JV, I I talk a little bit about that in the book. There are a couple of really interesting stories where something would just pop in. It was as though I would go blind to my present circumstances, and a movie would start in my head, and it was about something else that was going on in the world, and I I blurted it out, and of course I got into trouble for that, but the dynamic was I was being shown something, and when I talked about it, it was validated, and that was a little creepy to my parents, and they of course they didn't support me in that, but I started to think, wow, this is curious. And my sister, who was 11 years older than me, brought the world of ESP and Kreskin into my life one Christmas, you know, with those, those cards that yeah. you, try to, you try to identify with. 
But I didn't believe in any of it. I just thought it was sort of wild and wonderful that I could have this experience with my sister at such a young age. I mean, she was 11 years older than me. But this was not supported. There was an incident when I was um, just in seventh grade. I was just was turning 12 years old. And there was a uh, a classmate of mine who sat down with me for the first two weeks of lunch. And she was a tiny, toe-headed girl, a lot smaller than those of us who were even, you know, with our little model stick figures at that age. <laughs> she was much smaller. And there was a moment where I kept looking at her, wanting to protect her, JV. There was something that made me take what I call a psychic snapshot of this girl. And she had wispy hair, and she talked really sweetly. And she was the eldest of these children living down in the valley, which is where my father had a hog farm. We lived in town, but we had this farm down there. And there was something about her that I, I really wanted to protect. Well, the first or the second week in school, the fo- football game was happening and everybody was going to go, but they kept announcing her name over the loudspeaker. And the next morning, my father mentioned that this girl from down in the valley had been raped and murdered. Oh, and that wow. was Kelly Joe. Oh, wow. Wow. Yeah. How old were you? And that, How old were you? When 12. This? I, wow. I was turning 12 the next week. And that murder changed everything for me. I didn't understand. I didn't know what rape was. And I had to understand and hear my mother talk about these things over and over again. And it, I, I had a horse at the time and I didn't want to go down to the farm anymore. And I didn't want to ride my horse. And it made me protect my, myself from my mother because what she was doing to me behind the closed doors was inappropriate. And I started to learn things. That rape, that murder changed my life. And then there were two other mur- murders in my small town the subsequent year, and I, know th- I knew those people too. So that was basically one of the things that started to massage my consciousness to work with law enforcement on murder cases. Wow. I, I can't imagine digesting some an experience like that at 11, 12 yeah. years old. I just can't. I mean, that, that that has to be something you carry with you forever. Yeah, you do. And um, interesting, so does the town, the yeah. town that mm-hmm. I grew up in. Yeah, mm-hmm. absolutely. So you mentioned um, when you were relating some of these early experiences that you had, that in retrospect, you can go back and say, oh, okay, that's, now I understand what was going on there. Now I understand why I heard that voice. Um, yes. And you mentioned that, you know, your parents didn't really want to hear of it and, you know, school probably didn't want to hear of it. Maybe even <laughs> friends didn't want to hear of it. How often do you think uh, a child with some of these sensitivities, such as yourself, uh, are basically uh, either punished or admonished into silence and, and they, they, they tuck these abilities away because they've been told they have to or they're afraid of being punished or ridiculed. Well, that's a really good point. Um, and, or they're drugged. Yes. So let's take a look at organized religion. You know, um, I, I think that God speaks to us all the time in various ways. This larger consciousness system that most of us call God is constantly trying to get our attention about things. And we have the history of the Bible as an example of a text that, even though it's been probably dissected and edited 2,500 times, it is still uh, part of the fabric of our nation. And it's also been cherry-picked in order to 
control people. But that dynamic is all about spirit and consciousness and vision and listening to God and t- and having all of these incredible spiritual experiences. It's and the the thing that I find most miraculous is um, the the well not just the reincarnation of Christ, mm-hmm. but the release of his spirit, everlasting life, life John 3.16. And God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son to die for us. And who shall ever believe in him shall not perish but have everlasting life. And I've been talking to dead people, not believing that that was part of it, or the whole concept, JV, of born again. Did anybody ever think that that was reincarnation? I mean, we we were taught that it was a card-carrying club that you had to become a member of in yeah. order to sur- survive and go to heaven. It's interesting when you when you pull the blinders back a little bit and you start to think in just uh, in terms of an open mind, and you start to realize that so much of what we're seeing in our world today can it can be explained or assisted or aided by uh, these ideas that we're talking about tonight. Yeah. Well, everybody has it. That's the whole thing. And when you talk about, you know, um, this being discouraged and how many children, well, children are having experiences, but parents, of course, well, whatever the children are doing that the parents don't like, they basically try and curtail it. Or because of, of all of the technology... Child, uh, children are stimulated. Their their child sensibilities are not like what we had going out into the world, That's into right. the woods, and and playing with other children. They have been focused on technology and getting immediate gratification, and that's not something that we had. So the in- intuition and the ability to access this larger consciousness system is available to us. And children are looking at it in different ways, and it's going on all over the world, whether it's the, the children who cover their eyes to see through this blind experience that they have, or what they call indigo children who are coming in, souls from, you know, another lifetime or, or maybe just a few years ago, who've decided to come back in and help where we are. But that's a belief system, yeah. and I know that you, you like to talk about that. So here we are. Yeah, the I'm curious as to what you, if you had to define this in in a, and I don't want to pigeonhole it. However, do you believe this is spiritual in a religious sense? Do you believe this is mystical? Is it is it uh, alien as an extraterrestrial? Is it interdimensional? Where does this energy and these uh, sensitivities, where do they come from? Well, let's let's use the science aspect of this. For the last 10 years, I've been working with Tom Campbell, who was a physicist and he was a NASA defense guy, who actually was with Bob Monroe at the Monroe Institute with Dennis Menernick back in the 70s, developing the technology called Hemisync for the Monroe Institute. And Hemisync is the binaural beat system that... Um, a lot of people were are using still, and it's of course where the U.S. military went to train with binaural beats to have access to altered states of consciousness without the use of drugs. So the science of this is accessing information. So this larger consciousness system that we call God, you could make it a computer or or this just divine energy. I think it's everything that you said, JV. 
I think everything that you mentioned is all in there because I think it's all about consciousness. We talk a lot more about consciousness than we ever have, at least from what I'm seeing in the discussions we have on this program. And we're talking more about mm-hmm. more about a matrix of consciousness and interconnected consciousness and a greater consciousness. Does, Good, yeah. Is that part of what we're talking about here? That's it. A- absolutely. You know, Tom teaches the virtual reality model. Now, I'm I'm not a physicist, so I can't give you the exact modicum of his model. But the dynamic I like to use is, If God is the computer and we are these avatars, then we are the players, and our consciousness connected to source, this computer, we are in this virtual reality. So that is all that also, you know, sort of slams um, the whole materialism idea down because within the virtual reality um, model, there is room because of consciousness being spiritual, which is basically connecting to a source, which is downloading from that source, which is all about really growing up, lowering entropy, reducing all the chaos. And it's kind of like chaos if you're thinking of um, gasoline fumes. When you lower the entropy into, into making it gasoline, you can do something with it. So we are lowering this chaotic entropy, and we're having a hard time with it right now in in our country and all over the world, in making it about love, Jay-Z. That's the job, to grow up and find love. Quick question, and then we'll we'll retire this discussion about um, children and and their sensitivities, and as as you experienced as a child. But this this idea that uh, parents and schools seem to teach us or scold us out of these sensitivities and these ideas. Uh, Is that a Western or uh, an American uh, um, thing or is it global? Is this, is this what we'll find all over the world or are there, are there cultures that actually embrace this particularly in children? Well, you know, the thing that comes to mind is Rudolf Steiner and the Waldorf schools. I'm, I don't know how many of yours of your listeners have looked into Rudolf Steiner's principles, but the idea of expanding a child's mind and keeping the arts and keeping all of the things that are basically right-brained to inspire that left brain, it's, it's both sides working together. I mean, when you defund various things for children's schools and you take away the arts and you take away the expression of them, they don't have a place to to offer their emotions. You know, when we go back to that trauma piece, my God, had I not had the opportunity to sing in the choir or, you know, I started, you know, being this precocious child and getting on stage very early, thank God, JV, so that I could express the internal problems and the stress and the the pain and the suffering of the trauma instead of having it, you know, get stored inside the, the issues make the issues in my tissues. I think it's crucial for children all over the world. And I don't happen to, you know, have lots of discussions with, with my friends that, um, that are in different countries about their children, but I think that's a really good program. I think that's, let's put that on the docket. Yeah. Let's get some of our friends from Europe and England, Germany, France, and Germany. Um, oh, my Germans, the, 
the Germans have, have been teaching us how to handle life ever since World War II. They've had to integrate that pain and that suffering in, in a very powerful way. So I'd love to hear from them about this. You, um, let's, as we get to know you a little bit better, one of the important uh, episodes in your life was, the, I think, the first career that you chose, which was that of uh, stage, television, and film acting. How did you decide to do that? Uh, that's, not, that's, that's something a lot of people talk about, but not, not a lot of people pursue, and even fewer are successful at it. Well, JV, when I was growing up, I saw that my mother, her face was lit with joy, when she would watch her soap operas. She longed to be in front of that television set, and that's where she spent most of her life, reclined on that sofa. I don't know how many years I calculated, (laughs) but I thought, wow, if I could get into that box in the corner of the room, then maybe she'll love me and not hurt me. So I remember being, you know, crawling up on the stage at the Trinity Lutheran Church to entertain the Rotary Club. I was singing on top of Old Smokey, and my mother was completely delighted, and I thought, I'm going to get into that box one day, and that was my focus. If I could, of course, I had some talent, but my drive was truly because I wanted my mother to love me. That, I, I think a lot of us do what we do <laughs> to get our parents to... It, you know, maybe they, maybe I, I'm not going to uh, for a minute think my parents didn't love me even when they weren't showing it at times because I have to yeah. believe they did. And I do believe they did. However, we wanted, mm-hmm. we wanted their, their approval and we wanted their, we wanted them to be proud of us. And we made, many of us made many of our decisions in our lives based on that criteria. Yes. Well, mine was uh, a survival mechanism. You know, I, I, Part of the reason that I left acting was because I didn't, uh, even though I had a, a great career and it was much, much, much fun, um, I didn't want to pretend anymore, JV. I had been trying to live an authentic life. And while my mother was alive, that was really hard. I, it's quite a challenge, and I'm, I'm so fortunate that of the work that I do and the people that I've worked with, you know, so many people have come to me and and said, you know, I've had this similar pattern in my family and it's just been devastating. How did you deal with it? How did you overcome it? And, you know, my mom was alive until 2004 and it was a constant, I had to keep checking my own integrity about, what I was giving her. I didn't want to lie to her, but I had to. I didn't want to not share my life, but there were times where I just couldn't. And I, and I found a way through therapy, of course, to be as authentic as I could. And, you know, and that caused ripples. And she, you know, fought back. When you're dealing with a narcissist who had control over you for so long and you start to stand up against it, you know, it creates problems, but it's the greatest thing I ever did. I remember, um, Oprah saying, I think it was on the golden globes that, you know, telling the truth was the most important power or the most powerful thing that we can do for ourselves. And 
That's what I did. That's 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 uh, inspirational. Actually, you've done so many cool things as an actress. I mean, I, I was looking through your IMDb page uh, earlier, <laughs> and but I have to say, the highlight for me, and it may not be the highlight for you, but the highlight for <laughs> me was uh, you were in a film called Ice Cream Man with my good friend David Naughton. <laughs> <laughs> oh my god! Wait, wait. First off, I'm. So- so lazy about going in there and fixing all that stuff because, you know, um, when you look at me, there's a lot of stuff all over the web, and most of it's true, I think, but <laughs> but but you can't really control. I have to go back into Google and, and control them because that whole thing with, with what my film career looked like, I didn't have a film career. I remember Barry, <laughs> Barry Sonnenfeld, who, <clears throat> who called me and said, Mala. I hate to tell you this, but I had to cut you out of my movie. Oh. You know, he had hired, he had hired me to, to for this role and get shorty. You know, actually, we'll get back to that ice cream man thing, but I'm laughing because um, I had a series of commercials that a lot of people probably will remember. I was the mom in this series called The Puttermans. It was this creepy doll-like family, and we were wearing uh, Duracell batteries in our backs. And we were covered, you know, with with prosthetic makeup. This was an ad and campaign? Yes, it was an ad okay. in the 90s. It uh-huh. ran for a couple of years, thank God. But it, it's quite funny. And, you know, um, I didn't know whether um, you had you had seen the clips. I have clips on my um, YouTube channel of just a number of the shows that I did. And I was hoping that you were going to say that, you know, Peg Bundy beating me up um, and married with children was one of your favorite things. But that ice cream thing, I mean, I shot it for two days mm-hmm. and I, you know, most of it ends up on the cutting room floor. Right. And I'm, you know, it's just always that way, except in television. So I can't really say that my crew, I did fly to um, Estonia to do a film with Brian Dennehy and Mia Kirshner and Bronson Pinchot, um, Keith Carradine, who else was in there? Judd Hirsch, oh, Mercedes Rule, great cast, terrible movie. But, you know, that was probably the last opportunity that I had. I sang in that movie. I played a cheesy cabaret singer. But the dynamic of how we get these jobs is just quite extraordinary. And... I loved the career, but I wasn't destined to have a pilot. Every pilot that I did didn't go, you know, whether it was a guest starring role or a lead role. And I realized that was just completely okay with me. I loved being guest stars on Seinfeld and Married with Children and Everybody Loves Raymond. And I loved it. But can you believe that talking to the dead is more important to me and helping others accessing information for their highest good? Well, that says a lot about you. And I have to make a confession right here. I've never seen Ice Cream Man. <laughs> I, <laughs> I, um, I actually screened it. I, I, I run a series of horror film conventions. And, yes, uh, I understand that. Mm-hmm. And, and I screened it um, because David Naughton was with us at one of these shows, and he's in that film. Uh, so I screened it. And that's the, as close as I've ever gotten to that film. I don't think I even knew it existed prior to that. Um, but, so, but I just thought it was funny to bring it up. Well, it is funny. It so, is funny, but but when you when you look at my reel, if you ever t- take a look at that, it's up on YouTube. It's just those 
how many shows can you get in in 60 seconds, really? Right. But having Peg Bundy beat me up, that That's was classic. really a treasure. <laughs> yeah, that was treasure. Um, we have so. to go to break here in just a couple of minutes. So let's let's get an understanding of how you made the transition from acting. And I'm assuming this was the transition, moving from acting to what you just described as uh, mm-hmm. talking with dead people and helping other people. You made a decision yeah. to do that. What was the catalyst for that decision? Well, I remember my agent calling me and saying to me, you didn't go to your audition. And I said, oh, right, right, right. What were you doing, Marla? Well, I was talking to one of the CEOs of a corporation, bringing in his dead father and giving him information. And I thought, and she said, oh, you might really want to consider whether you want to continue this work or not. I said, you're right. Mm. And it was, I was on the set of, I think it was the last show that I did. It was um, with Drew Carey, the Drew Carey show. And I had just done the opening scene with Wanda Sykes and Drew Carey. And I walked off the set and Jerry Cohen, actually, who I had been directed by in, during Married with Children, which was one of the first shows I did when I came to town, he said, great job, Marla. And it was a full circle. It had been 11 years since I had come into town and and done that, you know, and done a show with Jerry. And I thought, I think this is it. It it didn't move me anymore. I loved it, and I loved the people, and it was always so much fun. But I was so much more interested in being able to help people connect to love. And I said goodbye to it. I also said goodbye to my stage career in 1999. I last show I did was in Santa Monica playing Marlena Dietwick. Oh, wow. So I left that too. Got great reviews and just said, no, it's not important anymore. I think you um, you prob- you have a real knack for seeing good in people because my uh, description of uh, people from Hollywood is not quite so generous. Um, <laughs> I've worked with a lot of them, and I I have a little more difficulty finding the good in everybody. But I do try. I really do try. Uh, well, you- maybe we need to talk about this. <laughs> <laughs> when you were acting, or or even doing anything else, were you drawing on? these abilities, these sensitivities to guide you in any way to help you through maybe a a difficult decision or or just in the course of everyday work? Were you tapping into this all of the time? Well, it was more like this, JV. I was praying a lot, saying, oh, my God, just give me a job. But I do talk about this in the book. It's kind of funny. I was stuck on the 101 freeway. It was in the early 90s. And I was like, oh, my God, I just want, I need something. I need the stimulus of, you know, people working together, people, you know, that have problems coming together to work on them. And, oh, I need a stage show. That's what I said. (laughs) I was pounding the steering wheel going, God, just give me a job. Give me a great stage show. And I got a call the next week from Jim Cordy, who happened to be the guy who found me in Chicago. It's, it's my Schwab's, um, you know, drugstore um, story that he found me on a train and put me in my first stage show. But he said, Marla, I'm interested in you coming back to Chicago and playing 
Lena Lamont in Singing in the Rain. And I went, that's it. That's it. That's exactly what I needed. That's so I always was I was laughing a lot when this was first all starting for me. You know, was it my intention? Did God hear me? Was that show just primed for me? How did this all happen? And I'm still helping people figure out, you know, the intention of these amazing things that happen in our lives to help us grow. We're talking tonight with Marla Freeze. Her website, which website do you prefer, Marla? The book site or your personal site? Or doesn't it matter? You, you know what? I think the book site is great because it gives you a lot of information about what I've been doing. And uh, it's easy to order the book that way. But uh, And it will take you to the other site if you're interested in contacting me. But it's MarlaFreeze.com and also AmericanPsychicBook.com. Be sure to listen to part two of this interview with Marla Freeze. It is the next episode in your podcast lineup. Beyond Reality Paranormal is hosted by J.V. Johnson and produced by Orion Palmer and Slick Eddie Edwards. Like us on Facebook and subscribe to our YouTube channel. Please consider supporting the program either through your podcast platform, click on the link in the description, or on Patreon at Joha Productions. If you'd like to be a guest on Beyond Reality Paranormal or you have a recommendation for a guest, contact our producer, Slick Eddie Edwards. Eddie is spelled with a Y at slickeddieedwards at gmail.com.